This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve, fuel your body with the best, Use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out NUMAoutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery. Elevating the archery experience. Take a test drive with the Matthews V3 31 or 27 at a local dealer near you. Vortex Optics. I've been partnered with Vortex since 2010. This company is awesome. They're American owned, veteran owned. They're based in Wisconsin. Their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics, accessories, and apparel. Most of the apparel that I wear while training, scouting, and hanging out around the house is vortex wear go ahead and check it out and if you want to save 20 percent, enter the discount code elk shape at checkout and you'll save 20 percent. new from vortex in 2021 is their tripods the one i've been using in the backcountry is their summit carbon 2 and their radian carbon and it also has a ball leveling head and it's perfect for rock solid shooting there is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime no-fault transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at VortexOptics.com. Hey, welcome to the Elk Shea Podcast. What's up, guys? So today we're sitting down with Brian Lynn of Sportsman's Alliance. This is one of my favorite conservation groups. Um, they're hardworking. They're putting their money where their mouth is. Uh, they keep a pulse on all the climate going on in hunting and trapping. And uh, so these guys are dialed. Pretty appropriate time of year to bring them in with all this new legislation coming out on the docket. Buckle up. We're going to talk about some of the policies that are being presented and kind of break them down and get you guys up to speed. This is Brian Lynn, and you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. <music> We are recording. Cool. Brian, what's up, man? Not much. How you doing, buddy? Good. It says uh it says Jake or something. Oh crap. Let me change that. No, it's fine. It's great. No, let me let me so I uh jumped into a Humane Society of the United States webinar on how they're gonna stop coyote contests in the Pacific Northwest and didn't want my real name, so I just put that in. Now every time I open this up. That's what it says. 
Oh, see, now everyone knows your, your secrets, man. Yeah. So every time I have to get in and change it and I said, keep it this way, but it still reverts every single time. So dude, I, I don't know about you, but I just wanted to talk about all the BS going on in 2021. Like, um, and you've been in the game for so long, like, is it my imagination or is this like par for the course to get all this crazy legislation out, um, that we've seen in the last two months? It's, it's pretty much par for the course. Um, hang on, let me close this down. Um, just closing down my email so I don't get big alerts coming in and volume wise. Um, it's part, pretty much par for the course. I mean, this is what we do every cycle, you know, as soon as January starts, it gets going and it'll go like this a couple more months, but it's been pretty, there's a couple of big things out there that are like, Oh geez, you know, the, uh, the bear stuff in California, New Mexico trapping is huge, but big picture. This is how it always is. I mean, every new legislative session, it's just bills coming at us left and right. I think the guys are monitoring 800 to a thousand bills. Okay. Yeah. So like that California bill, uh, it got shut down, but like, um, I, I looked into the guy who was sponsoring the bill. I like just did a quick little found him on Instagram and I looked at his profile picture and not to sound like a jerk, but I, I, I looked at him. He was like this pencil neck dweeb on his left was a transgen individual on his right was a transgen individual. They were posing for a photo with a, um, a gay pride flag in front of everybody. And I just wanted to know what he knew about bear hunting and biology and wildlife conservation to, to bring out this bill, just kind of judging from the outside, like quick little first impression. Let's call it a first impression. And I don't know, like, where did he come up with this? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he's the Senator for, uh, San Francisco, right? So, that's his people. Those are his people. It's uh, in most of, if you look at his history of the bills he's introduced and legislation he's involved in, it relates to them. You know, bar sales until 4 a.m., making it easier for DJs to get permits. Why a DJ needs a permit? I don't know. Access to prep for AIDS and, you know, uh, HIV stuff. That makes sense. You know, that that's, those are your constituents. But uh, yeah, it, there's nary Nary a, a wildlife bill in there. He had some gun gun control bills, of course, being San Francisco, but nothing to do with wildlife. And so where this is coming from and who was behind it is Humane Society of the United States. So they gave him this bill and he put it up there and hit the talking point saying that, you know, bears are endangered and climate change using all the hot button issues. The forest fires are reduced their habitat. And so, you know, we, we need to stop hunting these poor things that are, that are dying off. And the backlash was just boom. I mean, immense. And everybody said the same thing and presented facts and budget numbers. And, uh, you know, they just kind of gave a response like, oh, you know, COVID, we, we need to focus on more important things. Yeah, totally agree. <laughs> yeah, stay in your lane, bro. And then wasn't one of the facts... Like uh, they said that bear meat gets wasted in California. Has it written that you can't just leave bear meat in the field? Yeah. I mean, they, they were saying nobody eats it, which is common with predators. You know, nobody eats mountain lion. Nobody eats bear. Well, we all know that's false, you know, and uh, just said it's, it's uh, they said the, the numbers are dwindling when since the 80s, the numbers have quadrupled. They haven't ever met, they haven't met their uh, quota, their state quota, since they took hound hunting away. This year's quota was 1,700 bears. They hit 919, you know. The fish and game actually wanted to increase the quota a couple years ago to 2,000. That's never going to happen in California. You know, that's a political landmine. So they, did, they haven't done that. They haven't reached it. So, you know, it, it just, he got hit with facts. He got hit with numbers. And I just think he was kind of probably in unfamiliar territory. He has no response and, you know, HSUS couldn't help him. So he pulled it. I'm not sure what year it was. I want to say 12, maybe 2013, but I had booked 
a bear hunt with an outfitter to use hounds, which I still haven't yet to do to date. And the right before the the hunt started, it got banned. And so I didn't end up getting a bear tag, but I had a deer tag. And so I went deer hunting on my own in the Trinities. Sorry if I'm blowing up your spot, y'all, but it was like five bears to every deer I could, I could glass up. And it, I mean, it was like, I had wished I had a bear tag. I ended up getting a buck on that hunt and it was a funny story. I got it on my way out, hiking out. I was like, there's too many hunters. There's too many bears. I'm out of here. And then I ended up just getting lucky and seeing a deer, you know, a mile before the truck and got a deer. But, uh, I, it's just burned in my mind how many bears I saw on that hunt and then laughable that they can't even hit quota. Hounds, houndsmen are, man, that is like the most high quality way to selectively harvest the most mature past their breeding. You know, I'm preaching to the choir. So, and then f- to see eight years later, a docket of let's just ban bear hunting just shows you the death by a thousand cuts process that these guys are after. Yep. Yep. No, it's, it's, it's insane. And, uh, you know, they're removed from it. So they don't have to deal with the consequences and repercussions of it. You're not going to have a bear down at the disco shack in uh, San Francisco at 4 a.m. They don't have to worry about it. You know, they don't have to deal with it. It's the people on the edges and the people out in the country have to deal with these bears. In Tahoe, which is right there on the border, Lake Tahoe area, and this is where a lot of it comes from with the bear stuff is there's a bear gal there. They actually have it documented. You know, mothers teaching their cubs, how to break into the cabins around Tahoe to find food. And the response is, well, let them have it. Like, what the, I mean, the, now the tail's wagging the dog or the, the tail's wagging the bear, one of the two. Yep. And, you know, it, now it's okay for them to come into the human dwellings to eat. They're like, no, this is just asinine. It's, it's crazy. Well, I should have, like, so guys listening, Brian it lives in the same town as me. Just honestly... I think everyone knows I'm honest. I'm your honest friend. You guys are the most legit conservation agency out there. Like if you're looking for a nonprofit to actually support and sometimes you're like, look at BHA and you're like, huh? Cause I'm a lifetime member of BHA, but I don't follow them and I've just pushed them over here. Um, and I don't really want to get into it on this podcast, but I'll just summarize by saying, uh, I'm, I'm really into two way. I'm really into c- conservation and I am definitely like, um, I understand the argument that, you know, when it comes to public lands and a lot of Republican policy, they don't, they kind of butt heads like, and I understand that. So that's why I have grace and give and take. And I think you kind of have to land in the middle on certain things. It's just like, I use the analogy, heavy arrows. You got your guys who think you got to shoot a 700 grain arrow. You got your guys over here says 300 and I'm kind of in the middle. Like I understand both arguments, but ultimately my point is that I haven't been really following up with BHA too much. I like the premise of protecting public lands and the do it yourselfers. So I haven't kept up with them, but I've kept up with you guys and you're just like putting your money where your mouth is. You're, you're in there in the courtroom and so this is your segue to just, before we get into any other cool topics, please tell everybody about Sportsman's Alliance and what you guys actually do, where the money actually goes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Sportsman's Alliance has been around since the 70s. We started with trapping, a trapping issue, issue in Ohio, and it's just grown from there. You know, it, that's when the animal rights movement came in and really started making a big push was in the 70s. And it's only gotten bigger and crazier. And uh, so we fight in all 50 state legislatures, state and federal courts, and at the ballot box, they've tried to attack it in Montana, Maine, other places, take it away by popular vote. And so we'll go in and offer our help to the boots on the ground there and come up with a strategy. Um, Yeah, we don't care if you're blue or red or what, if you're introducing a bad bill that's going to impact hunting and take it away, you know, especially from the animal rights perspective, we're going to fight you, you know, and a lot of it lands on the blue side because it's city people who vote for, you know, more liberal 
and they, such as California, introduce some off-the-wall bill. So a lot of it is comes from that side, but we also see it from you know the conservative side, especially with uh, dog bills like we have in Texas, Oklahoma, and Tennessee right now. A lot of times the uh, Republicans jump on those, and we have to go in and educate them or get amendments or you know exceptions made. You know, so we don't care. We you know it's we're kind of like if you want to pick a fight, let's go. And what we'll throw down and, you know, do our best to protect hunting, fishing and trapping nationwide and keep this stuff from getting closed or uh, not even closed. You know, a lot of stuff they do undermines these endeavors and the bigger picture, the model, the conservation model that they support is being undermined and falling apart if, if these things go through. Um, so, you know, we're, we're protecting that and going at it you know, those death by a thousand cuts things or economic impacts like with dogs that we see, you know, it, it'll it add to the end cost of an endeavor that then will make it unattainable or keep people from doing uh, import bans from Africa, you know, keeping taxidermy from coming back, making it a felony, which is what we, we see happening. You know, a crazy stuff that's on par with manslaughter for owning African taxidermy or competing in a coyote contest or any type of wildlife contest is where they've moved it now from coyote contest to any contest, which can include field trials, youth squirrel hunts, or anything with entertainment is the verbiage. You know, and it'll carry a felony in some, some of these bills. So manslaughter. So for those listening, success leaves behind clues. What was it that allowed us to get that bear ban off the table in California? Was it the emails? Was it the direct messages? Was it the tagging people on Instagram saying you're idiots? Like truthfully, was it the, was it the money given to you guys to hire the lawyers? Like all of it, but, but really like, what is it that is effective? Um, in that exact situation, you can't ever know. You know, they didn't say what it was. They took the easy way out and said, oh, we just think there's, you know, COVID. We need to focus on other things. So we don't know exactly what tipped them one way or the other. Personally, I think it was all of that in combination. You know, the, the social media uproar, there was a petition started, there was calls, there was email, there was ink. Uh, Ryan Sablo wrote stuff for the Sacramento Bee, which is right there. Um, so I think that all happening at the same time and unification made them go, whoa, and back off, which is great because if we can do that in California, with, with something like that, we can do that anywhere. It's that come together, unity, say the same thing at the same time, you know, mentality and immediate and overwhelming backlash, you know? So if we can do that, that's great. Amen to that. Well, to put you on the, the hot seat a little, when you guys are working hard for us sportsmen, what other entities out there have been trustworthy allies that have helped your causes if, if there is any. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, we work with everybody. Um, I mean, SCI, NRA, uh, Oh geez, who else is there? There's uh, there's a bunch. We work with the dog groups. We work with just about anybody who has a vested interest we'll work with, you know, it, it, it's one of our things is we're small, right? Like we don't have huge memberships in every state. And so we get the people who have the bodies in there, and we're leading the charge and coordinating. Okay, now it's time to call now, you know, and get this out to your members. You get this out to your members. Let's send this all in at once. And so it's uh, anybody that has a vested interest. Uh, in Alaska, we're working with the guides up there, you know, to, in that lawsuit. And they're working with the native communities also. And so it's, it's whoever we can put together. And that's why we, you know, part of the reason we call ourselves the Alliance is we'll work with anybody who has a vested interest. I mean, uh, BHA down in New Mexico is helping on the trapping issue and they're, you know, we're taking the lead on it, but they're, you know, they put us in touch with the news organization down there to appear on the news and, and, you know, tell them what's going on with the transparency on the news there. So literally we will work with anybody who has a vested interest and wants to work together and help defeat legislation. Yeah. I mean, that's great to hear. You know, I'm asking these questions because I want people to think about this stuff. It's really on my radar. And I have a couple notes. The next one is Wisconsin. 
I want to go over that. I know you're very aware of the, what kind of what happened with the wolf delisting the tag allocation or quota, uh, tribal members, those tags not being filled, obviously, and then going over quota slightly, and then how media twists that narrative and spins it in a negative light. Can you recap that so people are aware of what happened there? Yeah, so the, the wolves have been on the endangered species list there for you know decades now. And I mean, I remember seeing numbers that, I can't remember which two states it was, uh, Michigan and Wisconsin maybe. Literally at the beginning of all this, they wanted 50 wolves in the states, in those two states. Yep. Now they're like 1,200 wolves in both of those states and 3,000 in, in Minnesota or something like that. I might have the states mixed up. Um, so we've been over over the goals, even ex extended goals, you know, moving the goalpost type stuff. Um, we've been over it for decades and we've been fighting, li literally, we've been fighting in court for probably 15 years, I think, 2004, 2006. Um to get them removed. And we've removed them three times from the endangered species list and they appeal and shop it to a judge that is friendly mm -hmm. and argue a red tape point, you know, and that's, that's literally what it is now. It's not even about recovery and goals anymore. It's, well, did you cross this T and dot that I? Nope, got to slap them back on the endangered species list. And here we go around and around again. And this case is paralleling or the, the grizzly cases uh, paralleling this case, it's, it's the same arguments that are taking place. And there's a pathway forward to that. So we're, we're getting through that. But Trump delisted, you know, they, they passed the delisting of in all the lower 48, delisting all the wolves and, and that went through. Now Biden suspended it and is looking at it um, or is, you know, taking a look at it. But before that, uh, Wisconsin, passed a bill that said if they come off the endangered species list there has to be a wolf hunt you know and hunter nation it was you know the one who pushed that and sued when they as soon as it came off and forced wisconsin dnr to hold a season there in late february and they scrambled to get it done you know and i think it was 200 and 200 wolves that they wanted yep and it went over by like 220 or something like that and, you know, that included the native allocation, which they filled all of their tags and the hunters filled their tags and it actually went over, you know, the sport hunters, I think, put us over by like 8%, if I remember right, you know, but the media loves controversy, loves to spin the numbers, loves to, you know, create a story of good and bad and whatever else. And so now you're seeing the backlash and the extrapolation of this data and these inflammatory headlines, you know, which only makes future stuff harder. You know, what they fail to realize is in all wildlife management, those biologists are taking a very conservative estimate and even reducing it further. So if you do go over, there's no harm. There's no harm to the overall population. You know, that's the thing we manage on a species population level, not individuals or two, three, four, 20 don't matter in the big picture of things, but that gets yeah. a lot of noise. So a conservative estimate of 1200, which is really conservative and a, an allocation of 200. And then we go over that by 8% in the headlines read hunters are mass murderers, greedy hunters going way over, you know, the allocation. And so, yeah, it's just spinning in a negative light. So, yeah, I wanted to just touch on that and clear that up for everybody that, no, it was just a few wolves that went over. And uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, there's a surplus. Yeah. And if you're killing that many that fast in three days, two and Good a half, Lord. Days, you got a lot of wolves. I mean, <laughs> wolves are hard to kill. I mean, living here where we live, we know this, you know, it's uh, I've been out with trappers in Idaho and stuff and and I follow them on, on Facebook and stuff and it's tough. I mean, they are smart, smart creatures, you know, intelligent. And you make one mistake, you're not killing them. If you can kill that many in two days, holy cow. You yeah. got population. Okay, let's migrate over to Montana. I haven't kept up with all the nonsense, but I do know at some point there was a pitch 
and I think mainly by the Montana Outfitter Guides and Association, if that's what they're called, to pull 60% of the non-resident DIY type general tags off the table and set those aside guaranteed for outfitters and their clients. It kind of goes, to me, I call it socialism for hunting. If you're a really good guide and outfitter, the cream rises to the top. If you do a good job, you'll have clients. If you're a full-time construction guy or something, or full-time garbage truck driver, and you're an outfitter on the weekends, and you book hunts, and you don't get your clients their animals, and you give them a lousy experience, yeah, people are going to find out that you're not good, then you're not, you don't, you'll need help. And so I felt like it was kind of a welfare move for lousy guides, but I guess we better back up who better than you to kind of paint the picture of what they're proposing and, and uh, where we're at currently. And we're going to interrupt this podcast for a quick little message from Black Rifle Coffee Company. These guys make amazing coffee here in the U.S. and they're veteran-owned and they're proudly American and unapologetic. I appreciate that. If you guys are interested in joining their coffee club or picking up maybe some swag, ready-to-drinks, or check out that new Flying Elk Roast flavor, use the discount code ELKSHAPE and that'll save you 15%. Also, Kufaru International. This is the backpack of choice for elk hunters. I use the Hoodlum or the 44 Mag. You guys need to check out Kufaru International if you are serious about packing out large loads of perfect protein off the mountain. Head over to kufaru.net to learn more. We're also brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app. I've pretty much gone away from using an old school GPS. Obviously, I still carry like an inReach, but all my hunting maps are stored and executed with the Onyx. This is the fastest downloading offline maps out there as well as the most resilient bulletproof not going to crash on you when you need it most i run tracking most days while elk hunting and i found onyx to be the most reliable hunting gps app out there check it out today and finally baku e-bikes these are e-bikes made for hunters by hunters this is a game changer for elk hunting as well as bear hunting checking your tree stand trail cams getting in and out quietly. I rock the mule. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to knock $300 off your purchase. And if you do that, you might as well just go ahead and apply that discount towards a folding cargo trailer so you can put your elk quarters and haul them out back to the truck. Well, there probably is, you know, better, somebody better to paint this. Um, See, that's something we don't get into a whole lot. Right. that's kind of that internal mechanism decision and it's still there. It's like, nobody's taking away, you know, the elk hunting and whatever it's the, the reallocations and whatever. That's something we just can't get into with all the other fires we're going on. I understand. Just from what I've read about it, I think it's, uh, yeah, outfitters, but then I think it's the landowner tags, the land, a certain amount of land, you get X number of tags which you can sell to non-residents. And so I think that's where kind of the big crux is taking place is the, not, the residents are losing out to landowners who can then sell these tags to non-residents at a high price. And, you know, basically, uh, you know, kind of privatize that, that resource, which is supposed to be held in public trust. So I understand the argument. Yeah. And that, I mean, that you just said it privatization is the direction it seems like a lot of states are going and the way that hunting is going and i got a lot of love for my grassroots blue collar get a week's vacation wall tent elk hunters that mainly just want to get away from the nonsense and go out and do some hunting and they can't afford you know, to hire an outfitter or to cover the outfitters expenses of leasing up all the good private where the elk live. Um, I've heard arguments that, well, these guys who hire outfitters spend more money when they're in the state, which really that money's going to lock up really primo land. I think more DIYers show up. They're the ones renting the hotels and gassing their truck up multiple times and buying the groceries and going to the diners and 
there's a lot of people talking about that, but I didn't, I wanted to get your take because I knew that you were like um, logical and uh, I respect that. Well, what, what's the current, um, at the time of this recording, we're coming up on April. What's in the hopper right now? What are you guys working on? Who the big things? Well, uh, well, the real big thing that's moving fast and is just crazy is the New Mexico trapping issue to ban trapping on public land, which Halland, who was you know the state rep um, or the federal rep for New Mexico and just got appointed as the Interior Secretary, she supports it and has fought you know said we shouldn't be trapping on public land. Well, there's a state level legislation to end trapping on public land in New Mexico. We've been fighting this since day one, you know, uh, for us trapping is goes back to our genesis and what got us started, but they're also on the front lines every single day. They're getting attacked every single year from every play, every angle possible. And they're the canary in the coal mine for hunters. Once hunting is, once trapping's gone, they're going to use the same tactics and are using the same tactics currently on hunting, but they're aiming right now, a lot of it at, at the trappers. When trapping's gone, those resources will get shifted right back over to hunting and we'll be facing twice as much. But the process in New Mexico has been, I mean, we're just flabbergasted. The, the, the senator that put it up in the committee meetings, he didn't even take responsibility for it. Didn't answer a single question. He turned the floor over to the person that has helped him write this bill, which is from the Animal Protection League of New Mexico. And she literally answered every committee question, every everybody's questions, presented only her side of the case, only her beliefs and, and anecdotal evidence. We've gotten very little time to weigh in, question or respond to her evidence and, and stuff. And it's just been crammed through committee after committee, through the floor votes. And now, you know, now it's moving into the Senate, I believe. Um, or maybe to the house. I can't remember. There's so many, um, but it's just been, I mean, flabbergasted. It's, it's a travesty of justice, making a mockery of democracy. And so, I mean, I was even on the news down there in Albuquerque saying this, like there's transparent one hour, they gave one hour notice to register to testify the next day, gave the public one, one hour from like three 30 to five at close. So an hour and a half, on a work day on a Thursday to testify Friday morning. Oh my gosh. Like how, you know, we got in there and we, we were right there. We were watching and watching signed up and testified, but you know, you're not going to get an equal representation. And even if we did, we aren't getting our voices heard and they're just pushing it through. So yeah, I mean, how they can even vote on this without having information. I don't know. You know, so that's just, that's one of the big things we're fighting right now is trying to save trapping in New Mexico on public lands. Um, other things, we got uh, our Alaska lawsuit where that's, we were just granted intervener status back into that again. So this will be year six, I believe, that we are fighting up there. And this is, this is the issue going back to talking about wolves and the headlines we see. This is the exact same thing. This is what you saw when Trump reversed the rules to what they originally were. So going back, stepping back to 2015, uh, Obama, Obama administration changed the way game management takes place on federal lands within Alaska, wildlife, wildlife refuges and preserves. Congress reversed it for the wildlife refuges, but it took place longer in the past for preserves, so Congress couldn't touch it. it. Had to be done by rules change again. So for four years, we were fighting. We had a lawsuit going. We put a stay on it while we worked with preserves, uh, the National Parks and Preserves Service. And right towards the end of uh, Trump's administration, they changed it back to it how it originally was. And this is goes to uh, predator management. So when that happened you saw all the headlines come out that said Trump administration, you know, gassing wolves in their den, um, killing denning uh, bears, grizzly bears, swimming caribou, you know, and it made it sound like us sport hunters from the lower 48 are going up there and using these tactics. It has nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with us. The only thing it had to do with us was uh, baiting grizzly bears. Everything else you read was 
either the biologist for the state using something, which, which was gassing the pups, and that was used, has been used once in the history of, of this stuff. It's been used once in a high distemper area in a, you know, for wolves in, in this high distemper area. So they gassed them, killed them, and that was it. The denning grizzly bears, the swimming caribou, all, all this stuff is related to native rights, native communities and their rights, particularly one very remote village up in the Arctic Circle, which is, this is how they eat, you know, this is, this is subsistence living, you know, and so now it's back on, which is, you know, ironic that, uh, you know, the, it's the, the ones who are calling for social justice the most are the ones taking away native rights and reneging on, on these treaties that have been in place. Treaties with the native people and in three federal documents with the state, state of Alaska, which brought them into the union. They said they get to manage fish and wildlife. So the big argument for us is if they can do that in Alaska, federalize wildlife management on those lands in Alaska, which is like the size of Montana, on those lands, millions of acres, they can do it anywhere. And once they can do that anywhere, there it goes. It, now, now wildlife management falls to whoever's in the, in the Oval Office. You know, and that's not how it works. The feds do not manage wildlife outside of the Endangered Species Act and the Waterfowl, Migratory Waterfowl Act. It's up to the states. And those are the people who should do it. Absolutely. Stay in your lane, U.S. government. And, uh, the people were put in trust, and uh, that wildlife is your wildlife and mine. Super interesting. And it was written so broadly that anything could be interpreted as this predator management. You increase tags for caribou or something. Oh, that's taken away from the par- from the predators. No, nope, you got to reduce those down. So anything could have been construed as imbalance and not taking an ecosystem-wide approach and whatever else. So it's just a backdoor way of, of changing this stuff and banning practices and control of who's controlling the wildlife management. Mm, That's a huge lawsuit that, because we won and then Humane Society and a couple of other groups sued to reverse, just like we had done. And so now we are granted intervener status and that will be going on probably for four years or more now. <laughs> well, if you guys have never heard our prior podcast together, it's probably two years ago, but my takeaway, and that was two years ago was, and I encourage anyone to go back and listen to it. Cause some of the stuff we talked about is still super relevant today. The humane society is the biggest front you've ever seen. It's so important that I'm going to circle back to it on this podcast. So we make sure people know what's what. Um, so I guess talk about that a little bit, just so that I know that that T is crossed. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. And, and I mean, even my girlfriend used to, used to donate to him thinking this, everybody thinks humane society United States is this big umbrella group for all your little local shelters. That's the furthest thing from the truth. Completely two separate entities here in Spokane scraps is our humane society. That's supported by donations and local taxes and different things like that. Humane Society of the United States is a completely different advocacy animal that is an animal rights movement. You know, Wayne Pacelli in the 90s merged the two together, or the late 90s, early 2000s. He was head of Fund for Animals, and he merged the two together. It's the largest animal rights act, um, activation group in the country. And they are working on legislation, court cases, everything else. And so everybody who gives five or $10 at Christmas time or every year uh, to the Humane Society of the United States is really giving to the animal rights movement and funding lawsuits and lobbyists big time and ballot initiatives. They're the ones we're going against on most of these ballot initiatives and they can drop millions into it. You go and do some research on them, you know, it's less than 1% of their budget actually goes to shelters. And that's in the form of grants, usually for spay and neuter or something. But most of it is going to uh, fundraising salaries. They got, I can't remember how many millions in offshore accounts, which is fine. You know, it's investment, whatever, but it's not going to what they're saying, you know, and everybody 
thinks that they're helping their local shelters by giving to the Humane Society of the United States in Washington, D.C. They're the ones with the uh, outline of the United States of America with a whole bunch of animal silhouettes in it. You are not giving to animals and your local shelters when you give to them. If you want to support your local shelters, give to them directly. They are not, Humane Society of the United States is not an umbrella group. Thank you. I wanted that cleared. Um, and we'll segue from there into kind of what you do for Sportsman's Alliance, which you wear a lot of hats. But one of those is, as far as I understand it, like you're kind of in charge of PR, public relations, media. And so because of that, you have to spend time on some social platforms observing. And this is a great time to bring this up again, like, we as hunters oftentimes like to shoot ourselves in the foot. And a couple examples is just, you're a trad guy, I'm a compound guy, you're an a-hole. Or you shoot elk at a thousand yards, that's not hunting to me. Or you, you hunt high fence, or you, you hire outfitters and hunt private ranches, and I don't. I'm a public land DIY guy. I get all that, but at the end of the day, I've been saying this a lot lately, Hunters united, not divided. There's too many against us. But from your lens, what are some of the biggest ways we shoot ourselves in the foot, specifically social media platforms? Yeah. Um, boy, social media. I mean, personally, like it could be the worst thing that's happened to hunting um, because we do. One is the side of, uh, you know, the infighting you know, trapping against bird dogs or bird dog guys against trapping, traditional versus this, crossbow versus that, you know, whatever, this personal preference, and then lending credence to a post about ending one of them. You know, the animal rights movement will put something out, newspaper picks it up, somebody shares it, and then somebody weighs in and says, yeah, I agree with it. I, I, don't, want, I don't think bait is fair. I don't think hounding is fair. If you're, if you're not spotting stalking, then you're not actually hunting. You know, it's like, we're all brothers. We can fight amongst ourselves if we want to, you know, about that, those differences and preferences and all that. But like brothers, we're family. And when the other side is trying to take something and fight with us, we need to be there having each other's back, even if we don't always disagree on everything. That's the one side is the infighting. The biggest issue is these, you know, I think somebody has been calling it gore porn lately or whatever is, you know, you saw the gal with the, with the uh, giraffe and she's holding the heart on Valentine's day. You know, gosh, like we all get it. Heart's delicious. I love it. And, you know, you got two different things happening there. One, you got this iconic African elephant or elephant uh, African giraffe, which any African species, anything that's been in a damn Disney movie is going to elicit a response on with a picture. But when you do something like that, or they laid down next to it before smiling, the non-hunters don't understand it. It's lost. You know, it's lost in translation. It's lost in context. It's everything is lost. And all it does is give ammo to the animal rights movement, Humane Society, Center for Biological Diversity, all these guys who are trying to stop each, of, each and every one of these things, i.e. the import and possession bans we're seeing at the federal level and in several states, that just gives them ammo, amps it up, the media grabs it and runs with it. So these dumb, dumb video postings and pictures are killing us. You know, there's a coyote contest uh, video going around right now that is, I mean, it's ugly. A guy runs, runs a coyote over with, you know, a snowmobile. That's not helping us and now all this stuff gets put together selective quotes get thrown in there and now we're fighting you know it, last year it was a dozen states you know fighting to protect uh coyote contests or wildlife contests because everything got looped got looped in there after coyotes it morphed into all wildlife contests which then the way it was written would end your dog field trials and hunt tests it would end squirrel hunts it would end your big buck contest it would end anything for entertainment, even if you and I went out there, entertainment, you know, and how do you define that? You know, mm -hmm. yeah, I enjoy it. Okay, your entertainment, you're guilty. 
you know so it's these dumb pictures posts videos people looking for likes and attention that yeah they're getting attention it's the wrong attention is bringing the wrong attention upon us as as a family of hunters yeah well it's it seems like uh if we don't talk about this it's not going to show up on enough people's radar which is why i brought it up obviously i part of my job is to make posts or whatever and create content for companies and so I'm super cognizant of what that looks like and what the messaging is. I'm not on the extreme of, dude, I love a grip and grin. I'll never stop doing it. I think it's awesome. It's how I personally like to remember the hunt and pay homage to all the, all the things that went into that. But, you know, there's not a lot of accountability out there. And so if we don't kind of hold each other accountable a little bit to those standards of, man, you don't need the duck in your mouth or the nudity with the dead animals is just, I, it blows my mind. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't get it where this whole thing started. I mean, there's people naked with their animals. They're the ducks in the mouth. They're like, I don't get it. I don't know where it started or why it started. You know, it's just, it's a bunch of crap. I don't get it. A grip and grin is fine. You know, I, I do it every single time I smile. I do it all. You can do the, you know, the hands-on holy thing. That's fine. Shows respect, shows reverence. I, you know, it's not my thing. I, I'm smiling. I'm enjoying this. And that's fine too. You got to be cognizant of the context and what it's going to be taken out of. Iconic animals, you know, from Africa and you're smiling with them or, you know, baboons, it looks <laughs> right like you look yep. at it for somebody who has no background in this it does look weird so it's like just use a little thought and the other side is if you're not looking for attention or making a name for yourself then why is your why is your profile even public like i mean a lot of this stuff is coming from people who have that aren't doing this but their profile is public the other side is these people are looking for fame and to make a name for themselves. And so they do extreme things or they invite the fighting, you know, which does us no favors in the headlines and newscasts. You know, like I've always said, you can, you know, we don't have to hide who we are. We can be proud to be hunters. We can, you know, have a grip and grin, but we don't need to be so provocative as to provoke people because we can't win that fight or it's very difficult to win that fight and explain this stuff. It's a long story to tell. And we do a lot of preaching to the choir, you know, and we all get it. But again, the outside person looking in doesn't get it. And it's very hard to explain it to them. Yeah. And, and most people are super cognizant and respectful and they know, like they look at it from like a perspective of probably maturation, longevity, especially when you have kids and you're like, man, I just want hunting to be there for my kids as kids. And and I'll admit it right here that I used to be pretty much like, dude, hunting is my natural right. Who are you to tell me? But you just can't be like that now. And I get a little bit of that. Honestly, I do. But at the same time, looking for the trajectory in the long term, Got to play the game, y'all. Got to play the game right and put us in a, a positive light and stay united. Speaking of infighting, I was kind of following, again, this is more like internal stuff in Utah. Not like, but they were talking about banning baiting for deer and elk and, and getting rid of trail cams or whatever. And some other states have and made more rules and, and that's all cool and dandy. But like, I do, I saw some pretty like serious hardcore hunters campaigning for this bill to go through to ban hunting which i'm sorry ban baiting which it sounds like it did happen that they're going to take away baiting for deer and elk in utah and i saw like pretty prolific hunters being like yeah man that ain't hunting that's just lazy and i just feel like this would be a good opportunity to talk about that a little bit like bro i i personally bait for deer here in washington probably proudly and I proudly didn't kill a buck this year with a giant pile of corn for the lack of, and I'm the first guy to show like 
yeah, there's a pile of bait there. Like that's how I'm choosing to hunt this specific animal. And obviously it's no guarantee. I didn't even kill a buck this year, but I like baiting for deer, especially on public land back in the mountains where no one's willing to haul in that bait and kill a big old mountain buck. I love it. And it's no guarantee, but, um, I get nervous when we start campaigning for little things to get taken away. Um, am I out of line here or what's your guys' thoughts on that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean that, you know, it's just tough, but your overall point and it goes back to the infighting thing is when we start campaigning and lending credence to taking things away, if you don't want to hunt that way, don't hunt that way. That's a personal preference. That's fine. Nobody's saying you have to use bait. You know, here in Washington, I don't. I haven't been out in a couple of years or last year. I didn't go out because my dad died. But, you know, you don't have to hunt that way. So that's fine. Leave the options on the table. And there's usually a reason for it. You know, the reason, the biological reason or, you know, the popularity, local customs and culture reasons to do it, you know. But when we start giving credence to taking stuff away, that same argument just gets used later on something else. And it's going to be something you enjoy. That, that's my point. Because there's a ton of nuance with baiting. I get like the CWD angle, dude. I get the outfitters that take full, like abuse the opportunity and dump, you know, carts and carts full of apples in the middle of the desert. That happened in Washington, for sure. Like in central Washington, there was outfitters that like literally pulled up with truckloads of apples and Washington flexed and made a new rule and said, you can't have more than 10 gallons of bait on the ground at a time and certain areas you can't bait now. And so, yeah, there's always bad apples. We understand human nature, but go back to what you said, as far as forget all the nuance. If you start picking apart one little thing that you don't necessarily agree with or that you do, that may come back around to bite you in the butt. And that is what I'm worried about, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's the same thing as, uh, you know, the anti-gun people arguing against the second amendment and wanting to undermine that. Well, yeah, all of this stuff is built on top of each other. You know, those same arguments could be used against your, your first amendment rights and, you know, fourth and fifth and everything else. If you say that, uh, baiting is an unfair advantage well they apply that to hunt to uh, hounds and then they'll apply that to long range rifles or they'll apply that to scopes you know that gives you an advantage you know and it's a circular argument because as soon as you take away the good stuff you know that uh, make you more efficient and give you a slight advantage over something else now you're now the argument will then shift and i've seen it happen they then shift and say well, this archaic traditional bows and arrows and whatever else aren't as efficient and therefore will wound animals and we can't have that. We're shooting ourselves in the foot if we advocate to take anything away. I have nothing to add to that. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And it's it's super emotionally charged. I mean, these guys that I saw on IGTV were very compelling. Like they did a great job of explaining their take on why they thought baiting wasn't a good option and they had really good valid points but i have this like denominator and at the bottom of it it's like let's not take anything away that we already have established like because i'm worried that they're going to just work their way up the ladder they are you know they, they keep saying we're not anti-hunt i literally sat in a webinar and they said yeah everybody against us says we're anti-hunting we're not against hunting we're just against this kind of hunting and well, as soon as they take that away, they're going to be against that kind of hunting. And then this kind of hunting over here, they're just, as we said, death by a thousand cuts. They take one thing and then another, then another, and they use it to legitimize taking the next thing. Well, the state already took this away. They took baiting away, so you should be taking hounding away. You took hounding and baiting away, you should just not be hunting them at all. Yeah. And, it, you know, you see the effects. And I, you and I live in a state that neighbors Oregon I swear both those two states like compare notes on how to not manage wildlife properly and just mark this podcast write it down there's going to be more people getting interactions with mountain lions I mean it happens year after year 
and the the ridiculousness numbers of mountain lions is insane in Oregon. It's insane in Washington. You can't hunt them with hounds. They have pretty tight quotas, and um, it's just an animal that needs to be managed. And we've lost the ability to do that with best practices because they've taken things away. Yeah. Yep. No, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and it all starts in California, and then <laughs> Oregon and Washington just follow lockstep, and it spreads out from there, out from the West Coast, and it'll jump over to the East Coast into those, you know, New York, Massachusetts, those those liberal states, and it'll go from there and work it, and then it just work. It's like cancer; it works its way inwards, you know, attacking more and more. Well, before anyone drafts up an email to send to me to tell me that I suck or my opinions suck. Just remember a couple things I just want to point out. One, I am all about 2A and supporting our rights as hunters and having us as hunters united, not divided. I mean, that is ultimately what I'm after. And if you don't like what I'm saying, you don't have to listen, or I encourage you to start your own podcast. It's relatively, the barrier to entry is very low and you can get your own guests and edit your own podcast. Just know that I'm trying to have a thoughtful conversation with brian who's in the trenches and i have a lot of respect for what you guys do how do people become members of sportsman's alliance how do we help support you guys financially with our pocketbooks yeah no there's i mean you can give uh you can give to our uh, legal defense fund which that money goes straight into our coffers to fight uh, the legal battles such as you know the the wolf case in the great lakes and the grizzly delisting case and the alaska management case that goes right there you know, we, we support it outside of that, but that money, if that's something that's really important to you are those court cases, which is where precedent gets set. You can go donate directly to that on our website. Uh, you can donate to the foundation, which we cover education there. We have a youth program coming up. That's going to be a game changer uh, that, uh, you know, goes into those legal battles also. Uh, you can become a member, uh, you know, on the Alliance side and, uh, you know, it starts at $35 and there's different levels with different benefits. And so literally just on the website, sports men's Alliance, M E N S sports men's Alliance.org. Um, just sign up and become a member at whatever level you're comfortable with um, different benefits. Like I said, the magazine. And then as you get up there, there's knives and t-shirts and hats and coolers and koozies and whatever else. Um, but yeah, just, uh, buying a membership, donating, getting friends involved, donating. You can sign up on there also to receive the state alerts for whatever state you're in when we are working on legislation and I get the email out quickly um, is uh, you'll get that and you'll get our weekly one that kind of shows you everything that we're, we're working on for the week, you know, the updates and stuff. And I try not to spam that if we're not, we don't have stuff moving. I'm not just going to send you emails for, you know, for giggles. And, you know, I, I, I don't like that. So I don't think anybody else does either. So it's just the relevant stuff when you need it and what it is nuts and bolts. Yeah, guys. So I'll put a link in the show notes for sure. And the thing I dig about you guys is you're super transparent and you're in the trenches and the trenches to me are, are mainly in the courtroom trying to avoid press new precedents that work against us all right dude so the whole time we're zooming here in the background i'm watching this like 12 inch beard flopping in some breeze inside your house there that thing's dangling so gotta ask you shotgun for turkeys or are you going spot and stock bear hunting what's your spring looking like man yeah so i'm gonna do a turkey hunt up in the huckleberry unit with uh with uh, the guys from uh, Soulful Hunter podcast, the Washington Backcountry guys, Johnny Mack. So he's never turkey hunted. So I'm going to try to help him get a turkey. I'm like the world's worst caller and I'm one ugly hen, but I'll give it a shot. So we're going to go after turkeys. Um, might chase some other turkeys with some other friends too. Uh, I'm probably going to go down into Idaho and do a bear hunt with my cousin. So we'll spend down there around Lewiston area and, uh, do a spot and stock, uh, bear hunt there. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of the spring turkey and bear and then, uh, got my pup. So, uh, maybe do some entry level retriever competitions, you know, hunt tests with him and you know, just for something to do. So that's kind of what the spring's shaping up as. Are you into shed hunting at all or kind of over it? 
Yeah, uh, not a lot. I mean, if I go out and if I'm out walking around hiking, I'm keeping an eye out, but I'm not going out just to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Um, I think that uh, I've talked about it before, but my shed hunting days are kind of in the rearview mirror. It does burn up a lot of time. And I think we'll pick back up when the kids get a little bit older and can hack it and we can do it in a way where they actually can cover more ground. But uh, any excuse to get outside. I like the idea of doing a turkey bear hunt combo. I'm, I'm thinking about doing that this year in Idaho and buying a ridiculously expensive non-resident turkey tag. I got a couple spots where there's some mountain birds, maybe try to catch them in the morning and then switch gears in the afternoon. Kind of a dude, that just sounds like a fun way to go about it. And, and I actually love wild turkey, like got some really dope recipes uh, insane recipes. My wife just can make it up. So it'd be good. And I like spring bear meat, man. Uh, I don't even, I can't even tell you last time I killed a fall bear. I usually get a couple of bears in the spring and I find it to be like some of the best meat out there, but that's just me. Yeah. My kid loves it. I mean, he, he prefers it. You know, I make spaghetti sauce and tacos and whatever else with it, just with that, whatever he used, I grind it up and Tuck loves it. He's, that was his favorite. So yeah, man. So not to get too heavy, but you lost your father, bro. Like, uh, how are you doing? And um, how are you like, I mean, I imagine he introduced you to the outdoors. So making memories with your kid and, and just passing on that tradition. And just we're going to finish with that because I know that stuff matters to me. Yeah, no, uh, you know, so is my stepdad. So I had a single mom for 10 years, first 10 years of my life. And, you know, my stepdad came in and just the nicest guy, the greatest guy, you know, kind, generous, you know, soft-spoken, fun. Um, but uh, yeah, he got me started hunting. And so, you know, when I was 10, 12, I guess I got 85 was when I got my, I still have the card, uh, my hunter's ed and, you know, shot my first pheasant that year using the side-by-side that was my great granddad's, you know, I'm getting the gun out of the safe, you know, I'm getting all the guns, you know, that he died. But uh yeah, it was my great granddad's side by side, my granddad's, my dad's, and it was my first gun and shot my first bird with it, you know, and, and he got me started bird hunting and it just kind of went from there from you know college and then somehow, here I am I ended up, you know, at ESPN outdoors and outdoor life magazine and now at the sportsman's alliance and it's turned into a 20 year career that you know was just a hobby and, and whatever else and you know, he was also, you know, responsible for me going to college and getting the education and, you know, awakening the desire to write, which is where all of this started and what kind of propelled me on this. So yeah, losing him was tough. Uh, lost him October 29th uh, to prostate cancer that uh, metastasized and hit the liver. And once it hit the liver, it was just a week or two that uh, before he went. And uh <clears throat> Yeah, so that was the day I was supposed to leave for elk camp down in Idaho. So that got canceled. And the day before he died, he was apologizing for ruining my elk camp. And <laughs> it's like, don't worry about it, Dad. And, you know, so I didn't go to elk camp. And then two weeks later or a week later, two weeks later, uh, it was season here for deer, late deer. And I didn't go out because I was helping mom. So, uh, yeah, be looking forward to this year and getting back down to Idaho and then hopefully killing a deer here if I got time and uh, yeah, enjoying it again. I know. And it's just like every time you go out, there will be a moment where his memory will be so served in that very moment. And that's the thing about hunting you non hunters and anti hunters that never listen to this podcast. will never know about that. It's just more than going out there and trying to shoot some critter so you can take a picture with it. There's so much more. It's it's an onion. There's so many layers. It's not a potato. And uh, I'm happy for you that you got good closure and got to be there and that his memory will live on every time you step foot out the door. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that, I was thinking about that yesterday, actually, that side-by-side is that's something that the the anti-gun people don't understand either is that that heirloom of a shotgun or a rifle or whatever being passed down from generation to generation. I mean, that's four generations right there with that thing. You know, it holds memories, it holds family, it holds everything, you know? So yeah, there, there's a deeper, deeper sides to both of those, both of those things. Yeah. Well guys, 
It's been a fun podcast, hopefully thought-provoking. Hopefully I didn't make anybody too mad. Uh, appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. you got a lot of options. Uh, remember, separation is in the preparation. Check out Sportsman's Alliance. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Thank you, Brian Lynn. Sportsmen's Alliance, you guys are awesome. Keep up the good fight. We all appreciate your hard work and efforts. Phelps Game Calls, thank you for providing all the bugle tubes, diaphragm reads, and my boy Dirk Durham at all the Oak Shape Camps. We got two more left on the year. We're planning some pretty big camps in 2022. More details to come on that. We're also brought to you by Crispy US. Crispy is a boot maker in Italy, but distributes boots here in the US. I have worn several other boots before, and I've done lots of testing of boots. You gotta find what works best for your feet. Everything in a hunt starts from the ground up. Crispy is literally the most comfortable boot for me that I've ever tried on with zero break-in process. This guy's been around since 1975, and I got to tell you what, I thought they were kind of trendy until I got them on my feet, and I was sold. And I didn't really want to admit it, but Krispies won my heart over. I'm really excited about rocking Krispies in 2021. If you're interested, check out their website. My personal two favorites right now are the Crispy Guides and the Crispy Colorados. Shout out Stowaway Gourmet, discount code ELK10. 10% off, pretty darn good, freeze-dried food. Black Ovis, they sell everything under the sun, including crispy boots, uh, other boot manufacturers as well. Man, knock 10% off your next purchase. Get your arrows. That's where I buy my arrows. Use that discount code, Oakshape. I know I have. Tag Hub for all of your e-scouting, state-by-state analysis uh, by the Eastmans. They know a thing or two. Discount code, Oakshape15. Take 15% off. Northwest Retention Systems. If you're in the market for a gun holster or a chest holster like I rock, check out the Scout. Use the discount code Elkshape. They'll take 10% off. Shipping and handling free. Five-day lead time. Get the Scout. That's what I rock for my Glock and my 44 mag. Uh, they even have a, one with the Elkshape logo on it. I dare you. Elk Collective, number one virtual digital education on elk hunting with multiple resources. Learn from many, not just one. All our elk-shaped content lives and breathes at theelkcollective.com. Use the discount code ELKSHAPEPODCAST, all one word, and knock $25 off. We have annual and monthly plans. That is my baby. Support that for me. Appreciate you guys. Got a lot of choices when you tune into podcasts. Thanks for picking this one. We've got another good one coming up next week. I'll catch you there. Remember, separation is in the preparation.